Are you looking for a church home or simply a weekly message that will revive your spirit? Each week, Pastor John Butler delivers applicable messages that will refuel your spiritual man and bring a new desire to your heart. Here's Pastor John Butler with this week's encouraging message. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1 is the last book of the Old Testament right before the book of Matthew. Malachi chapter 1. And when you find it, or as you're finding it, if you don't mind standing, in honor of the Word of God. Malachi chapter 1. I'm reading from the NIV today, and that's what they have on the screen as well. I'm going to read from verse 6 through 13. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. This is God speaking. If I'm a father, then where is the honor due to me? And if I'm a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. You realize that we are a royal priesthood. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will He accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying the Lord's table is defiled and it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden! And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices... Should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Before you're seated, why don't you bow your heads with me this morning. Father, thank You for Your Word. I thank You that we've come to the uh, part of the Scripture, Lord, where we will, uh, will break bread of life, the bread of life together. And I pray, Lord, that You would help us to open our hearts and our minds, that we would set aside any preconceived notions or ideas. Lord, that we would be open to receiving the truth of Your Word today and that we would adjust our lives and our opinions uh, according to Your Word and not the other way around. I pray, Lord, that You would you would anoint me and, and speak through me, God, that my thoughts would be Yours and my words would be Yours, and that I, You would enable me to deliver to Your people the message that You have for them on this day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, in verse 6 of the passage that we just read, God tells the people of Israel that He is not being honored. Now, the Hebrew word uh, there that is translated honored means that they were not giving Him His proper weight. They weren't taking Him seriously. They, They were taking God for granted. They were not honoring Him, and He was demanding that it stop. If there was ever anyone who deserves to be honored, it's God. Is it not? God deserves 
to be honored. But that's honor is not really a word that we throw around a whole lot anymore, or at least not with a whole lot of understanding of what it means. What does it mean to honor God? How do we honor God? Well, last week we began a series from the book of Malachi called Getting the House in Order. And we began by discussing the fact that in any house that God's going to be pleased with, whether it's a, a, a church or a family, then that house must be built upon a foundation of love. That's in the first five verses there in Malachi. But, but once we build that foundation of love, then we need to begin to build the walls. And what we're going to find out today from this passage of Scripture that we just read is that the walls have to be built with honor. The walls of the house that God is pleased with is built with honor. Now, according to God's message to Israel through Malachi, God expects to be honored in four different areas of our lives. The four walls of the house. And we're going to talk about the other three next week. But the first one that we're going to discuss today is that God desires to be honored in worship. God desires us to honor Him in worship. We must honor God in worship. And that means more than just singing some songs during a section of our service that we call praise and worship. Everybody with me today? Y'all hold on. Well, as a lot of you know, I spent the previous... I've been the lead pastor here for almost a year, ten months or so. But the previous 19 years I spent as a music pastor. Which means I got caught in the middle of one of the most controversial areas and issues in the church. And that is worship styles. I mean, we come, people come to blows over worship styles. People have, have fights in the parking lot. You think I'm kidding. The police have been called to business meetings where they've discussed worship styles because people are so passionate about that kind of stuff. So if you if you do hymns, then the praise and worship people get upset with you. And if you do praise and worship, then the hymns people get upset with you. And if you try to do a little of each, then everybody gets mad at you because neither one of them gets everything that they want. It is a sometimes a no-win situation. But that, I even heard of, a, of a, a church that the pastor was trying to do a praise and worship song and there were members of the congregation that took the hymn book and stood and began to sing a hymn on top of the praise and worship song that the pastor was trying to sing. It has come to that. We are so passionate. We have been, become so convinced of our own personal preferences that we have turned them into a holy war. And we, we talk about the Muslims for declaring jihad about this and that and the other. We do the same thing in the church. We take our own personal opinions and we turn them into a holy war. Thus saith the Lord, thou shalt do praise and worship. That's not in the Bible. Okay? We get all worked up about our own personal preferences. Here's, I, I had a couple come to me years ago. We were still in the old building in the old sanctuary, and they came to me and they were just bragging about the music and how much they loved our worship. And they said, I just, I believe that God's just, He's moving today in praise and worship. He just doesn't move in the hymns anymore. And, and while on the surface, you know, I wanted to sort of be encouraged by that, we have to stop and think about what we say. We have to think about the ramifications of what we say. And when you can't just throw something out there, you have to, is it true? Are, are you for real? And so you have to ask the ultimate question of that conversation is, are we, do we seriously think God has a musical preference? Like when God is, is cruising in whatever it is God cruises in, He's listening to the radio, 
I mean, does he come across a station and go, ooh, ooh, I can't stand that. Turn, turn, and just keep turning the dial until he finds the kind of music that he likes? I mean, do we seriously think? He goes, ooh, there's American praise and worship. Oh, I'm finally there. I mean, do we seriously think that God prefers Southern Gospel over praise and worship? Or that He prefers praise and worship over what they sing to Him in the jungles of Africa? Or, or what they sing to Him in the house churches, in, in, in the underground churches in China? Or that He prefers that over what they whisper in their hearts in the Muslim-dominated nations because if they sing it out loud, they'll get killed for their faith. Do we really think that God has a musical preference? God has preferences when it comes to worship. God is concerned about worship. But it's not about our opinions. It's not about our musical styles and our preferences. God's concerned about worship, but it's not about the style. The bottom line for God is, is the answer to this question. Is it honoring me? Does it honor God? Because you can sing any style of music you want to. I don't care what it is. And, and you could do two different sets and the exact same songs at the exact same time and have one set of people that may be honoring God and another set of people that may very well not be. It's not about the style. It is about whether or not it honors Him. There is a manner of worship that is acceptable to God. Not a style of worship. There is a manner of worship that is acceptable to God and all others are unacceptable. When it comes to God, it is not the thought that counts. It is not the effort. It is the obedience that counts. And if that's the case, then we better start asking ourselves the question, what is it that God has asked for? What is it that He wants? How do we honor God in our worship? In the book of Genesis, God expected Cain and Abel to bring Him their first fruits. That was the expectation. Abel did that and his, his sacrifice, his worship, his honoring God was accepted. Cain didn't do that and his was rejected. Now what does that mean for us? It means that God wants to be top priority in your life. God does not really do well with second place. He wants to be the most important and He deserves to be the most important. If your worship of God is going to be accepted, then it's got to be your top priority. It's got to be why you show up at church. It's got to be why you come into the sanctuary. Now in the temple... In the Old Testament, they had gates that would either be closed to keep people out or open to allow people in. So they had the gates, and then they had an outer courtyard, and another set of gates, and they had an inner courtyard. All And the further they went, the closer and closer they came to getting to the Holy of Holies, which is where the presence of God was manifested to them in those days. Now, King David, who was the most passionate and probably most famous worshiper in Scripture... King David said that when he entered the gates, when he just got to the edge, then he had thanksgiving in his heart. When, when he went into the courts, he began to have praise on his lips. Before David ever even got to the temple, before he ever got to church, he was preparing himself to worship. He was thanking God for His blessings. He was praising God for His goodness. What would happen at Covenant Life? If when we drove on the parking lot, rather than screaming at the kids, rather than yelling at the wife or the husband, what would happen if when we drove up on the parking lot, which we might call the gates, 
of the temple. What would happen if we began to thank God for what He's done in our lives? What would happen if when we walked into the lobby or when we walked into the hallway over here at the bottom of the steps, what would happen if when we walked in we started praising Him for His love and for His kindness and His protection and His strength and His mercy and His forgiveness and His healing and His peace and His salvation and every good and perfect gift that He had blessed us with the week before? What would happen? What would happen in this sanctuary? What would happen in your church if we showed up with thanksgiving in our hearts and we entered His courts with praise? What would happen? How intense would the worship services be? How many people could be won to Christ? How many of your family members, before we even open the service, the presence of God would be so strong that they might actually come down and give their hearts to the Lord simply because of the presence of God that's manifest in, a, in an atmosphere like that. What in the world would happen? How intense would His presence be? Well, I'll tell you one thing. It wouldn't take two or three songs to warm us up. It wouldn't take cheerleaders on the platform encouraging us, prompting us, prodding us, aggravating us into worshiping. What would happen if we showed up at church honoring God by worshiping Him as our first priority? I mean, like, what else are we here for anyway? If it's not to worship God, if it's not to be in His presence and to receive the Word that He has for us, what did we show up for? That's, what, that's part of what constitutes God-honoring worship. What else does God expect? When the days of Malachi, in the, in the passage we just read, they were under the law of Moses, and they were expected to bring... Uh, an animal without blemish as a sacrifice. That was how they honored God. They were supposed to bring the best of their flock. They, there were very specific uh, uh, qualifications about it. There, there could be no blemishes on this, on this sacrifice. No diseases. No deformities. According to verse 8, though, the people in Malachi's day were bringing blind and lame and spotted and diseased animals as sacrifices to God. Now, what does that mean to us? It means God expects our best. Not only should we have Him as our first priority, worshiping Him as first priority, but He expects us to bring our best. That's why our singers and our musicians rehearse so many hours a week. That's why we don't just stand up here and just take requests from the congregation. Because it might be a hot mess. Right? It probably would be. Right? It's why I don't stand up here after we finish our music like we did in the little Baptist church that I grew up in and go, who's got a song today? Did y'all go to a church like that? Because half the time people would get up there and they would sing and go, y'all pray for me. I ain't practiced this in about a year and a half. But... And you know, they didn't have to say it because as soon as they started, you were pretty sure it had been at least a year and a half. <laughs> we believe in offering God our best in worship. But you know what? This passage, and, and y'all are okay with that. You're like, oh yeah, it's because it don't sound like a hot mess. I love it when I come in here and y'all are practice. That's wonderful, Pastor John. I agree wholeheartedly. But you realize we're not just talking about the people up here. God expects your best. It, it, you know, it doesn't just count to show up. You don't get... Well, you don't get points just for showing up. It's not like the SAT, you know, where if you just kind of come and write your name and bubble it in, that you get four or five hundred points just for showing up. Yeah, that's not really how that works with God. You, you, you do need to show up, 
but you actually have to do something when you get here. You have to give God your best. You've got to make the decision to worship God, and then you've got to carry it through. And it has to be the best that you have to offer. And I know that sometimes our best is different than at other times. I know that sometimes you come in here and you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. I get that. I've been there and done that. I, I, I know that sometimes the intensity of the storms of life that rage around us makes it hard to worship sometimes. I get that. But we've still got to give God our best. We've got to push through the, the, the emotion. We've got to fight through the feelings of despair. We've got to ignore our weaknesses sometimes and the pain that it causes. We don't allow the circumstances of your life to dictate the level of your worship. Don't offer lame and blind and diseased and spotted praise to God. God deserves the best that we can possibly give. I don't know of one person ever who as they left service, they said, you know, Pastor, I really, I wish I'd held back more today. I was far too passionate in my worship, and, and I really regret that. I, I just wish somebody had stopped me before I'd given all of that to God. Never, not one time, have I heard anybody say that. What I have heard people say is, you know what, I didn't feel good when I came. I really almost didn't come, but I am so glad I came. I mean, I, I almost let that headache or I almost let that backache or I almost let this circumstance or I'd had a bad week or I'd done this. I almost let that hinder me, but I am so glad I came into the presence of God and I feel so refreshed. I feel so encouraged. I, my circumstance hasn't changed. My, my family's still crazy. My job's still uh, on the rocks and, and all of this is still the same as it was when I came in, but something has changed inside of me. Something is different about my whole situation because I praise God. Because I gave Him my best. Because I went through the trouble to show up. Nobody ever regrets honoring God with their worship. Nobody ever regrets giving God their best. Now what about you? Does your worship honor God? Are you giving Him your best in worship? Here's another thing in Malachi. Verses 12 and 13 teach us that God expects us to worship Him without complaining about the cost. Worship Him without complaining about the cost. Look at what the priests were saying. They were bringing the sacrifices to God. So they technically were showing up. They were serving God, technically. But they were complaining about it the whole time. Look at what they're saying. They're saying it's inconvenient. They're saying it's not like they wish it was. They're saying it's defiled and it's unacceptable. Look, if you don't hear anything else this morning, you need to hear this. Worship is not about us. It's about Him. And as long as it's acceptable to God, then who are we to complain about it? Who are we to demand that our preferences be met? If God is honoring the, the worship with His presence in acceptance of that worship, then we better drop all our opinions and go running into His arms while He's still got them open. The fact remains that it costs something to worship. Worship costs you something. God knows that. That's why it's called a sacrifice. Look at what David said. David said this in First Samuel, Second uh, Samuel, twenty-four and twenty-four. He said, "No, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing." How many times have we showed up at church 
and walked out and we didn't give God anything that cost us anything. We may have gone through the motions, but it didn't cost us anything to worship God. My opinion is, if it don't cost you something, it's not worth anything. How impressed is your wife when you bring her flowers that you didn't pay for? <laughs> You're like, oh, well that does kind of look good on the table. She's not feeling the love. You ain't getting brownie points for that. It didn't cost you anything. If we expect God to be honored by our praise, it's got to cost us something. That's what gives, us, gives it its worth. But He expects us to give it willingly and gladly and without complaint. There are too many times in my life that I have taken my family out to eat at a nice place only to turn around and suck all the life out of the meal and the fellowship because of my bad attitude about how much it was costing me. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. I, I, we, we chose to go to a place and because it cost more than I was hoping it would, then I just pout and I get mad or and I start counting the dollars as it goes out and I'm calculating everything in my head. I'm completely missing the fact that we have the opportunity to fellowship over a good meal together, but I have ruined it for everybody because of my bad attitude. Guys, you do know you don't get brownie points for that. Just for showing up at the restaurant, you don't get brownie points for that. If you do like I did, it, you not only get don't get brownie points, but you get points deducted. Red pins come out. They start in your They knew how much it cost. They could see the prices on the menu. Because God forbid that I ever take them to one of those places that don't put prices on the menu. I ain't there yet. I'm just telling you, I'm not there yet. If you have to ask, you can't afford it. I can't afford it. We ain't going to one of those places yet. They know how much it costs. They saw the they they saw the the prices on the menu. They know it was a stretch for our budget. They knew it was a sacrifice. That's what caused them to feel the love. That's that's how they knew Dad loved them was because he was going to spend a little more than he usually does. Spend a little more than he had to. But then when I complained about it the whole time, and whether I said it or just had it in my spirit, I complained the whole time. Ruined the whole deal for them. It took all the joy, all the love out of it. Don't you think God knows how much it costs you to worship Him? Don't you think He sees the hours of rehearsal time? Don't, don't you think He sees the chaos that ensues in your house on Sunday morning that you have to fight through to get to church every week? Don't you know? Don't you think He knows the cost of the gas that you put in your tank to drive up here? Or, that, or the fact that you can't stand a particular kind of music? Or all the other ways that worship costs us something? Don't you think He knows that already? Don't you think He appreciates that? Then let's don't ruin it by complaining about it the whole time. God, I'm worshiping You today in pain. You know my shoulder hurts, but I'm lifting my hand anyway. God, You know how irritating that song is to me, but here I stand. I'm going to stand anyway. Lord, you, you know I use the last bit of gas in my car to come to the house of God, but... But you better fill it before I get out of the parking lot too because you know I can't get to work if I... 
We hold God hostage with our worship all the time. Like He can't, like He can't function if we don't show up and worship and just go through the motions. Right arm, left arm, sway from side. I'm, what in the world? We have lost our minds. We have lost our minds. And, and we've done it. I've done it. You've done it. We've all come to God letting Him know how much it cost us to worship Him that day. And God, who stood up when He saw us coming into His presence, anticipating a time where He could lavish some love on us and enjoy a time of fellowship together, He hears us complaining about how much it cost, and the smile leaves His face. And He just sits back down. Because it just sucks all the life out of it for him. It doesn't honor God when we do that. See, what we need to realize is we don't need to get into a battle of cost with God. Because what we don't seem to realize is that no matter how much it costs us to worship Him, it will never even up to how much He paid for our sins on that cross. Don't start a fight you don't want to you don't want to fight. That's not one you're going to win. If we're going to honor God with our worship, we've got to do it with the right attitude. We've got to give Him our best. We've got to make Him our top priority. And we've got to do it without complaining. And what else does God expect from worship? What else is worship that honors God? Is it all Old Testament? Nope. Let's look at John chapter 4. I believe it's on the screens for us. John 4, verses 23 and 24. This is Jesus speaking. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Hang on. I didn't finish the, the verse. There's good, more good words in there. Go back to 23, please. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Now let's look at verse 24. God is spirit and His worshipers must worship. And then He says the same thing again. In spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. Jesus tells us there's two other expectations of God when it comes to worship that honors Him. He wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. Now some translations, will it'll say God is spirit and His worshipers must worship Him in spirit, capital S, and in truth. And, and, and some, some translations do it that way, indicating that the Holy Spirit has to be involved in our worship. And I think that's a valid point. In, in order for God to be glorified, the Holy Spirit has to be involved. That is, after all, the Holy Spirit's role in life is to point to and glorify God. But most translations, including the one that we just looked at, don't capitalize the S. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. Indicating it's our own spirit that has to be involved in worship. And I think that makes sense too. You can't just go through the motions and expect God to be honored. You have to do it with all of your heart with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. You've got to get your emotions involved. All of this happens when you worship Him with your spirit. Let me ask you this. How engaged is your spirit when you worship God? 
Be honest with yourself. Lord, don't raise your hand. (laughs) Don't tell me. How engaged is your spirit when it's time to worship? Are you just singing words off the screens? Or are you actually thinking about what you're saying? How many of you ever get your kids get in the car after after school and you're like, well, how was your day? And they start to tell you and you're just like, you're not listening. (laughs) You have no idea what they said. You just know that in the good parenting manual, it says you're supposed to ask your kids how their day was. If you turn the page on the other side of the page, it says you actually need to listen to the, to the, to the response. We can't just go through the motions of reading, following the bouncing ball on the screen, making sure that we say it in the right time and with the right level of enthusiasm. If we're only reading lyrics off the screen, then, then our spirit's not involved. So we got to get our little squirrel chasing, attention deficit brains focused in the right place when it's time to worship. Let me give you an example. We're doing um, uh, Mighty to Save. Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. Right? We sing that and we just... How many times have you sung that? How many hundred times have you sung that line? Maybe a thousand for me at this point. Here, and we go through it and we just sing it. And we never engage with the material. We have no idea what we're talking about. So what would happen if we just do Savior? And this is what goes on in our brains. We're thinking, I am so glad you're my Savior. I... I oh, mean, I was a mess when you found me. I don't know why you love me the way you love me. I don't know why you saved me. I don't know why you went to the effort on the cross. But thank you that you are my Savior. Thank you that you love me. He can move the mountains. Boy, do I have some mountains in my life. God, I'm glad you brought that up. Because i got a few mountains that I need you to move. And I know, you know what? I know that you have the power to move my mountains. And I trust you enough to know that at the right time and at the right place, you're going to move those mountains. And I'm just standing in faith, believing that you're going to do it. My God is mighty to save. There's nobody like you, God. Nobody as strong as you. Nobody as mighty as you. You're so much stronger than my needs. So much bigger than my sin. You, you can do anything, God. I believe in you. I trust in you. I put my faith in you. You see the difference? You see the difference? You've got to connect with it. Allow, if you're not singing, that's fine. That's what they're doing. But you need to be worshiping. Connect with the material. Understand what you're reading, what you're talking about, what you're singing about. Get your spirit involved in worship. When you do, it gets personal that way. It gets real that way. The presence of God manifests Himself in your life that way because it gets down in your spirit. And that's when God knows that you are fully present in the moment with Him. Valerie's love language, her main love language, used to be gifts, but since I'm so cheap, she had to let that one go. So I'm working on that. But it's it's quality time. And she tells me frequently that she wants to take my cell phone and throw it in the yard because of the text messages and the phone calls and the emails and the constant... The constant stuff that draws my attention. See, she wants quality time. It's not enough that my body shows up in the house. She wants me present in the moment. She wants me with her. 
That's what worship is. It's our opportunity to be present with the Lord. One-on-one. Nobody else can worship God for, for you. You've got to handle that all by yourself. I can't call Steve and say, Steve, Valerie's really wanting some personal time, but I don't really have time. Could you come over and just sit with her? <laughs> That's not going to end well for me or for Steve. We have got, when it comes time for us to worship God, and you know we're going to worship here in just a minute, okay? So, full disclosure, yes, I'm setting you up. But when it comes time to worship God, we've got to be present, fully present in the moment. He wants worship to be a time of revival for us. He said in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 that He wants us to come into His presence because that's when times of refreshing come. Is in the presence of the Lord. But I want you to notice something else. He says also that He wants you to worship Him in truth. Worship Him in truth. You, you cannot fake it before God. You, it's got to be honest. It's got to be sincere. You can't just go through the motions. Now sometimes you sort of have to prime the pump a little bit. Sometimes you have to make yourself get started. But it's not truly worship until you're engaged in spirit and in truth. Some, we've learned how to do church. Right? We know when to lift our hands at just the right moments. We know when to shout. Some of us can even shed a tear on cue. We know how to do church. We even know how to make it look like we do church enthusiastically and passionately. But it's not truthful. And if it's not in spirit and in truth, then it's not something God can accept. It's not true worship. You said some of you are like, well, yep, that's right. And that's why I don't stand and I don't lift my hands and I don't sing and I don't participate and I don't do nothing because that's not how I truly feel. Well, before we get too excited about our honesty before God, let me remind you that the light of the Word shines on our path to illuminate the things that we need to change, to correct our errors and to show us the error of our ways. So it, let me help you understand, it, it, it is not okay for you, if you are a Christian, to abstain from worship. You are out of order to be in the presence of God and not engage Him. Can you imagine how rude you would have to be if the president, whether you like him or not, but the person that occupies the office of the presidency comes into the room and we don't even look at him. Don't even acknowledge His presence in the room. But we do that to God week after week sometimes. We come into His house, but we never acknowledge Him. That's not okay. You, you don't get to abstain from worship just because you don't like the song or the, or the music or you don't feel like it or, or you just don't feel spiritual or the lights get on your nerves or Mark gets on your nerves or I get on your nerves or whoever gets... That's not an excuse. When you stand before God, you can't say, yeah, but Mark gets on my nerves. That's not going to hold water. Mark's not going to be with you. It's going to be you and him. 
You are the one that has to decide whether you're going to worship or not. You're the one who has to do it in spirit and in truth. You're the one who's got to learn to get your body under subjection, to get your emotions under control, to get your priorities in the right order, and to get your mind focused where it's supposed to be, and worship God in spirit and in truth. It's up to you. It's not up to Him. It's not up to me. It's not up to these singers and musicians. It's not about the lights and the fog and the and the anything else. It's about you choosing to do the right thing and honoring God in spirit and in truth. But let me tell you this, when you worship God the way He expects to be worshipped, the way He requires that you worship, then Jesus said there is an added bonus. He said not only is your worship accepted, not only are your praises inhabited, not only does He come and build His throne on your praises, but it says in John chapter 4 that God actually pursues you. He chases you. He seeks you. He comes looking for you when you worship Him in spirit and truth. When you worship Him the way He expects you to. When you make worshiping Him your top priority. When you give Him your best. When you stop complaining about the cost of your sacrifice. When you worship Him in spirit and truth. When you honor Him with your worship. Then you're drawing near to Him. And He said He would draw near to you. Listen, you will never be closer to God. You will never sense more of His presence. You will never hear His voice more clearly. You will never see His light more brightly. You will never know His will more plainly than when you worship Him the way He asks you to. And when we draw close to Him, He draws close to us. When you love on Him, He loves on you. When you lift Him up, He draws everybody to Himself, including you. When you humble yourself and exalt Him, less of you, more of God, then He will exalt you and bless you and lift you up in due season. When you confess Him and you claim Him as your own before everybody else, then He will claim you as His own before God and the angels. When you honor God with your worship, He will honor you. That is a promise that you can depend on. I want us to look at Mark chapter 14 as the praise team's coming. It's time for us to be honest with ourselves about worship. It's not okay to go through the motions. It's just not. Now, I'm not trying to make this more important than it is. It's just that important. It's not okay for me just to phone in a message. I, I can't just pull one that I've preached ten years ago and just go through the motions with it. It needs to be, you expect me to show up in this pulpit prepared with what God wants to say to us this morning. It's that important. It's important for me because I never know who's going to be in this, in this church and who might be here for the last time. Who might be here as a last resort on their way out to some back road in Harrelson County somewhere to commit suicide? I can't just go through the motions. Somebody's life might be at stake. Maybe literally, maybe spiritually. But you know what makes my ministry more effective from the pulpit? The ministry of the Word more effective in the pulpit? is the atmosphere that's created here. We had two people get saved last week. One was after my message. The other was during worship. You can't do one without the other. And I can't create an atmosphere of worship by myself. It requires every person who claims the name of Jesus. Look at what Mark 
uh, chapter 14 says. Very familiar passage of Scripture. While Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an, an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on His head. Verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly, man, they were, they were ticked off to one another. Why this waste of perfume? Look at verse 5. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages. This was expensive stuff. And the money given to the poor. This is what Jesus said. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Look at verse 7. The poor you'll always have with you and you can help them anytime you want to, but you won't always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Look at verse 9. Blows me away. I tell you the truth, wherever the Gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memorial or in memory of her. I don't think this woman had a clue as to what she was truly doing. I don't think she came in order to prepare Jesus' body for burial. I don't think that was in her mind whatsoever. All she knew is that she finally knew where Jesus was and she was going to Him. She was not going to miss the opportunity. It was her first and only priority in this sacred moment that she had with Jesus. This worship was expensive. But Jesus knew that compared to what He was about to endure on the cross, it was a drop in the bucket. And He received that honor that she bestowed on Him. It was the best she had. She did it without complaining. She didn't ask Him if He knew how much this stuff cost. She didn't remind Him of it. She simply was glad to do it. She poured it out on Him. And I believe that her only regret was that she didn't have more. She didn't have more time. She didn't have more wages that she could go. More stuff to offer to God that was her best. She was just upset that she ran out of stuff to give. She poured out of her spirit. And she was sincere in her worship. It's a great example. Maybe the best example of worship in the Word. I don't see anywhere else where Jesus said, anywhere that my Gospel is preached. And how important is the Gospel of Jesus Christ? He said, everywhere the Gospel is preached, we're also going to tell this story. Why? Because He needs people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not because He has needs in Himself. He needs you to do that so that He can send times of refreshing. So that He can draw people to Himself. So that He can interact with us one-on-one. So that He can be in that moment with us. Why don't you stand with me? If we're going to build a house that pleases God, if we're going to get this house in order, then once we've laid a foundation of love that I talked about last week, we've got to start building walls of honor. And the first wall of honor that's got to be built is we've got to learn to honor God with our worship. 
The essence of worship is not music. It is not singing. It is not dancing or shouting or raising your hands or all those other things that might be involved. At its core, the kind of worship that God desires is the kind that honors Him in spirit and in truth. Making Him your first priority. Giving Him your best. And doing it without complaining. That's worship that honors God. Now I could give an altar call and we could go home and you could start your cookouts and picnics and whatever it is you're going to do. But to me, as I was praying about this, the only appropriate response to a message like this, the only indication that you actually get it or don't get it, that you're actually going to do it or not do it, is if you're given an opportunity to worship God. And so that's what these ladies are here for. That's what Mark and the guys are here for. We're going to take the chance. You have this moment right now where you can have God's full attention. Are you going to honor Him today? We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor John Butler at Covenant Life Church in Bremen, Georgia. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.covenantlifebremen.org. We look forward to meeting you soon.